Let me give you a premise statement as we start our discussion and dialogue today. Here would be the premise statement. A person who speaks what he knows and lives what he speaks will attract followers. A person who speaks what he knows and lives what he speaks will attract followers, which means this. When your lips and your life sync up, people start to pay attention to you. When your talk and your walk actually match, people start to pay attention to you. Now, it's important to know what you're talking about, but it's more important to be what you're talking about. You've got to be consistently with what you say. So I want to cast a little vision of where we've been, where we're at, and over the next weeks, you're going to hear things here at the Cross Loganville where God is leading us in the future. We've seen amazing movement in the last five years. In January of 2011, I became the lead pastor here at the Cross. I had never pastored a church before in my life. I had never been on staff at a church in my life. I had been a part of a parachurch ministry that was infiltrating professional athletes, uh, athletes as well as uh, entertainers. So I had shepherded people. I had mentored people, but I hadn't done it in the confines of a local church. Now, what I realized way back was this. I thought what happened in the back of a barbecue restaurant with a bunch of athletes and entertainers and what happened in living rooms and small group Bible studies and what happened in the basements of these homes as we would get together and do life together, I, I, I was convinced that what happened there could happen in a local church. And five years later, I can tell you, it works. It works. And I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you some conclusions I made and, 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 and how God kind of led over the years. Now, I became a follower of Jesus 30 years ago. And as I said, I was sharing the gospel with other uh, guys in the professional sports world. And as I was doing chapel with the Braves and as I was going out with Foxworthy, inter, uh, him doing his entertainment stuff, I started having these conversations with Larry the Cable Guy and Ron White. And God just started throwing open all these doors to share Christ in a, a bunch of unique kind of venues, if you will. I found myself doing things and being places I never thought I would be. And, 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 but God started putting a burning on my heart about six years ago. And it was a burning to get into a local church where I could work with people day in and day out. I had done 20 plus years in this parachurch group, but I really felt like the next 20 years of my life was to be invested in the local church. Now, here's what we saw happen in these other rooms, if you will. If you will be real, if you will be raw, if you will be relational, and if you will be reverent, God will make it work. So we shared truth over a long period of time, coupled with transparency that led to trust in relationship. Now, it took about two or three years when I got here to really establish a trust, if you will, in this local church. This church had been through the ruins. This church had been through a lot of betrayal and a lot of hurt, and there was a lot of things that happened. So when I came here, 2011, January, when we first started, it was a triage unit. There was a lot of suffering and a lot of wounds going on. 
And we knew that God had to clean up some things, and he, he did. So here was the aim when I first got to the cross. I, I want you to hear this. This is important because this is what we've built on. I want to give you two passages. 1 Timothy 1.5 and Titus 1.5. 1 Timothy 1.5 and Titus 1.5. They're both pastoral epistles that Paul is writing to these two guys that he's mentored and encouraged, and these guys are going to be pastoring in a variety of areas. Uh, Timothy ended up staying in Ephesus quite a while, and we'll read about even Titus. He stays in this area called Crete. But when Paul writes to Timothy, this is what he said. He said, Timothy, I want you to know that the goal of our instruction, the goal, the aim, the target we're shooting at of our instruction is to love. We want to do it with a pure heart, we want to do it with good conscience, and we want to do it with sincere faith. Now, don't miss these three kind of uh, adjectives that describe what true love ministry looks like. He says, you've got to do it with a pure heart. The word there is uh, the word for cardio, if you will. And, and it deals with this whole thing of making sure there's no infection here. When God comes to change, he comes to change your hearts. Even David would pray, create in me a clean heart. So our hearts have to be right before God. And then he says, you want to do it, you want to do it with a good conscience. You want your mind right. You don't want to pose. You don't want to pretend. You don't want to manipulate and use others. And then he said, you want to do it with sincere faith. And the word sincere was used of a potter in that day where they would make pottery. And what they would do is they would bring it to the market to sell. And they would hold the pottery up to the light, the rays of the light. And if it was unblemished, they would say, this is sincere pottery, which meant it was without cracks. Nothing had been filled in. Makes sense. So God says, now, this is going to be kind of the launching of what we're going to build here. Titus 1.5, he says, uh, Titus, I left you over in Crete so that you could straighten out some things that were left undone. The word straighten out is where we get the English word uh, ortho from. It comes from that Greek word ortho. But when you see orthodontist or orthopedic, it is all about straightening, uh, straightening out something that's been made crooked. So God laid those two uh, crucial passages on my heart when we came here five plus years ago. And let me tell you something. Those principles have driven so much of what we've done. We've seen God straighten this thing out. We've seen love become the natural theme and thread of what we're doing here. We've seen people really start to buy into what the true gospel is. So here's what I wanted to do. This is what God was putting on our heart. I want you to build a team of people that are kingdom focused. It's going to go through some pruning because the people that really don't want to grow and know me are going to end up falling to the wayside. So we went through a little pruning process a few years ago, but, but it was okay because we couldn't grow new life and new health and a new direction until we went through some pruning. We, we were good with that. But he goes, I want you to build a team that's kingdom focused and you're going to focus on discipleship as being essential for everything you do. Because Jesus said, go and make disciples and we wanted to fulfill the great Commission. So our heart was to see every person that walked on this campus, every person known, every person connected, every person loving, every person giving, every person serving, that was what God laid out for us to do. Now, let me give you five simple words there in your bulletin. And this is important. Now, I would highly encourage you to go back on your own prayer time, word time, and kind of comb through these rich nuggets here. So as we started to build it, God says simplicity is going to be crucial as you go forward. Simplicity out of 2 Corinthians 11.3 says, 
Uh, I'm afraid, just as the serpent tempted Eve with all of his craftiness, I'm afraid that your minds would be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So we knew five plus years ago, you've got to establish what the engine of this fellowship is going to be about. And the engine had to be the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It had to be the death, burial, and resurrection. It had to be the purity of who Jesus is. And so many churches get shipwrecked because people start to debate these peripheral issues and they get away from simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. So we were going to establish it's all about Jesus. So I remember when I stood here and accepted, yes, we will will come here. And Barb and my family stood here. I'll never forget that October before I started that following January. I said, well, I've got news for you. You may be calling a new lead pastor, but there's not a new leader. The leader is Jesus Christ. He might have got lost in the shuffle, but I'm here to redefine that Christ Jesus is the king of this fellowship. That's what we established. And so it's like, all right, so we've got to stay simple. Second thing we've got to do is we've got to sanctify Christ as Lord. 1 Peter 3.15, sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, in your lives. Always be ready to give an answer or to make a defense for the hope that you have within you. Yet do it with incredible incredible reverence toward God and gentleness toward other people. So what we started seeing is more and more people started saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. It's the simplicity of the gospel. And people started realizing the importance of sanctifying Christ to be the Lord, master, and ruler of their life. we got to sanctify him. The third thing was this. We wanted surrender to be the norm. Romans 12, I urge you in view of God's incredible mercies that you present your Bodies and lives as living sacrifices. Uh, Don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we wanted to establish that being surrendered to Jesus was the norm. Living lives as a living sacrifice, which means I willfully choose to crawl on the altar, give God the pen, and say, write the narrative of my story. We established that, and we built on that, and we've seen God bless it. Then we wanted to establish that we wanted to be known as a fellowship that we share life with one another. We established that real life is done in small circles, not in rows. And so when you start to really get in a small group, and you're looking at each other's faces, and you're sitting there with eight or ten other people, you start to do life. But when you come in on a Sunday morning, and you look at the back of someone's head, you don't do life that way. And so we had to establish sharing life. Hebrews 10, do not forsake assembling with others. Let us uh, do everything we can to provoke others and stimulate others to love and good deeds. And so we're like, that's going to be essential for who we are. And we've established that and we've built on that over the years. And then the fifth thing I would say is this. They're all S words, but it would be this. We wanted to be known as a group of followers that struggles well. Everybody struggles. Some people don't know how to struggle well. But we knew that if we could learn to struggle well as a body, we could sustain growth and we would see maturation take place in your life. Paul would write in Philippians 3, not that I've already obtained it, not that I've already become perfect, but this one thing I do, I'm forgetting what lies behind and I'm pressing in to what's ahead. So those five little threads right there became essential for us when we started laying out the foundation of who the cross Loganville 
would be. Now, does that make sense? Now, we find ourselves uh, five years plus down the road. And I couldn't be more pleased and more thrilled with what God's been doing on this campus. I believe our greatest days are yet in front of us. When we see as much movement and growth and transformation as we have, I believe we're on the brink of seeing explosion. Now, here's something we wrote out as a staff. The Cross Loganville is a community of Christ followers. We are committed. Let me tell you what we're committed to. We're committed to passionately discovering, celebrating, and struggling with who God is, who he's made us to be, and how to live in a way that honors him. We are thinkers. We're not lazy thinkers here. We're thinkers. And we're encouraging people to reason and ponder the life of an authentic disciple. We challenge people to step into something greater than themselves. People who partner with the cross believe in our raw, real, and transparent DNA. The love of God motivates us to extend the gospel to others so that they may know the hope and freedom that's found only in Jesus Christ. He commands us to go and make disciples. Jesus' message and story matters. Our message and story matters, and your message and story matters. God desires to bring about transformation in each of our stories. We believe... His message is best extended by reaching, teaching, training, and sending. Reaching those who are lost, who are hurting, who are discouraged and disengaged. By teaching the word of God as being foundational for spiritual growth. By training and equipping disciples who will step out of self-protection into an extraordinary life of faith and become disciple makers. And we believe it is best extended by sending our people into the world to influence and impact others with this message of hope. We're living at a critical time in human history. The gospel is still relevant. And where your friends and family spend eternity matter to us. We must be that church that is intentional and strategic that proclaims a counterculture message that is desperately needed in this crazy postmodern world that we find ourselves living. A church with no compromise. A church that refuses to stay in mediocrity. We've got to be that church. What we value the most determines what we do here with our time and our resources. Every soul matters. So I must ask the question, what will I do? Will I risk it all? Will I go all in? Will I trust Jesus? Am I willing to be a team player that has kingdom impact? Now, this is all just kind of an intro for where we're about to go. Everybody good? Everybody good? So who are y'all? What do you believe? We've established this. What are you about? Now, I want to break down this new chapter in, in, in really five ways. I want to talk about the preface, and then I want to get into chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, and chapter four, and I want to move you through a process of what we value here. We believe that every person that walks in this building here, that walks on this campus here, is a candidate for the supernatural work of Christ. And we really don't care where you're at in the process. We believe God is wanting to bring about movement in your journey. Now, when you pick up a book, you'll oftentimes open it and you'll read the preface. Here would be the preface of what I want to share today. A lot of people that walk in here are curious, they're looking for answers, or they're confused. And, and they're wanting to know, do, the, 
Do I matter? Does my story matter? My, my life is unraveling. What is my purpose? Why am I here? Where am I going? And, 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 and so, so many that will walk in here will be lost, we'll call it. They're alienated and separated from Christ. They haven't had uh, this born-again experience, if you will. And they're going to come in, and they're going to sit amongst us week after week. Can I tell you something? When you drive onto the grounds here, and when you get out of your car, let me encourage you to make a conclusion. Conclude this, that the person that I meet as I walk in, the person that I sit next to who is in front of me, behind me, that person is struggling and searching for answers, and, and, and I need to extend Christ's love to him if I know him. You would make a good conclusion if you did that. We would treat people differently if we did that. There's a brother that came forward last week, and he's weeping, and my one brother, Mike, comes over and prays with him, and this guy gives his life to Christ. And he goes, did you smell him? I said, he smelled like a Marlboro factory, but he needed Jesus. Yeah. Just like the stinking dude that smelled like Old Spice or the girl that just smelled like she just got back from Victoria's Secret. I, I can't go there. I've got to look and go, that person matters. Their story matters. They've walked in here, maybe curious, maybe confused, maybe disengaged, maybe disconnected, and they're walking in, and I'm like, I'm so glad they're here. They've got a chance to get loved on today. They've got a chance to meet Abba's love in the person of Yeshua, Jesus. Their story might change today. I'm like, yes, that matters. When does it happen? We believe that it happens in a person's journey, when these three elements are working, when a person reaches a place where they're disgusted with themselves, they're sick of being sick and they don't want to stay there anymore. It happens when a person starts to have this desperation for God-style change. They are not going to reduce God down to manageable terms. They are willing to meet God on God's terms. They're desperate to know God. And then three, they're willing to disclose the deeper issues of their life. They're not posing and hiding and playing games anymore. When that happens, a person has a chance of moving toward Christ and receiving Christ. Listen to this story. Listen to this story. This one brother wrote, God has been working through the cross to show me his love, his guidance, and support through a very crucial transitional period in my life. The last 18 months have shown me the importance of having Christ in my life and surrendering to his will so that I can become the man he wants me to be. The impact that the cross Loganville has had on my life has literally saved my life, and for this I will forever be grateful. It's a dude in his 40s. That story right there, I'm like, yes. Yes, when you give, when you serve, when you help in the parking, when you help with greeting, when you usher these people in, when you love them, when you put a pen behind the chair, when you hand out a bulletin, when you clean up the restroom, you're having a part in that kind of movement in somebody's journey. I don't know about you, but in 2016, I would love to be able to stand in December and read 900 of those stories. Maybe I've got shallow faith. Maybe 2,000 stories like that. That fires me up because people that were 
curious or even confused have repented and have moved toward Jesus. So we get out of the preface, which is, guys, come to faith now. And we get into chapter 1. In chapter 1, what we teach here is reach, teach, train, sin. Reach, teach, train, sin. And what we mean by reach is this. We want to see every person that walks into this room converted to Christ. But we don't want to see you stay there, but we want to see you start there. So many in the Bible Belt, the bondage belt, walked aisles, prayed prayers, but they just stayed there. They've never started to experience the abundant life or this real life in Christ full of the Holy Spirit. And, and so we want to see Loganville and beyond reach with the gospel. We want to see people converted to Christ. We want to see life beginning. Life begins when you come to faith in Christ. This one gentleman the other day, he's in his 60s at our men's group on Wednesday night. He, he, he came up to me, Steve, and he said this. He said, uh, you talk about uh, the year you were born, the year you pass away, and that dash. He said, well, this is what I want on my tombstone. This is what I want my epitaph to say. 1951, born. 2014, born again. Stu's in his 60s. He gave his life to Christ last year. I'm like, yes. The first birth, you didn't have anything to do with it. Second birth required you to repent and receive the Lamb of God. So, so, so you know, we were talking about we were, we were talking about uh, the importance of like, hey, let, let's figure out kind of a, a census. How long have our people been coming here? What led them here and what kind of keeps them here? So, so filling out this card was important. So last Monday, our staff got together. And, and Steve and Mike and Nick, we, we sat there and combed through this. And it was really enjoyable to see, man, I've only been here zero to 12 months. I've been here only one to two years, what, whatever. And I was like, check out how much new blood we have here. And check out how many people established here, worked through the storm and didn't go anywhere. Cool. But we got here on, on how did you find us? What made you start coming here? There was this one family. Five different people had written down, this family invited me to the cross. Is that not crazy? And, and I was thinking, five different people? have started coming here, and some have come to faith in Christ as a result, was invited by this one family. Who are you reaching? Who are you building intentional relationship and meaningful relationship with? Who are you inviting to Christ? Who have you shared your story with? Who have you invited to church? No guilt trip, it's just a part of the commission. I'm telling you, it is so powerful to see movement in people's stories. Here's some cool stories right here. A single mom wrote this. My children and I came to the Cross Loganville in 2014. After church hopping for several years, we finally landed where God intended us to be. When we arrived, I wasn't even sure how to pray or what to say to God. I just knew that there was an empty space in my heart that nothing seemed to fill Week after week, I was amazed at the women that offered to pray with me. Some of them didn't even know me, but were so willing to pray that God would heal my heart. And he did. 
I feel so surrounded by the love of God at the cross. Yes, that story fires me up. That women, not even knowing a woman, puts their arm around a hurting heart and points them to Jesus. I don't even know what to say. I don't even know how to pray. You're a candidate for the supernatural. Because the goal of our instruction is to love with a pure heart, good conscience, and sincere faith. A 16-year-old teenager, she shared this. Before I started my relationship with God last year, I was the typical troubled teenager. I partied, drank, cussed. Going to parties meant that I didn't have to be at home to listen to my parents destroy their marriage. About a week after my mom left our family, I sensed God was really leading me to get my life together. My friend invited me to the cross. It was like I had found something so special and indescribable. I met Jesus. In these short few months, I've grown so much. I cannot wait to see what else God has planned for me. 16 years old, family falling apart, all hell is coming down on her at a crucial little point in her journey where the world is screaming, sex, alcohol, and drugs, sedate, validate, manipulate your emotions. And one of her 16-year-old little girls loves on her and invites her, and now she is rocked. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of of these kind of stories. I want to reach people. I want to extend the love of Christ to others. So so we get into chapter one and it's about reaching and it's about conversion. It's about life beginning. It's about salvation. It's about reborn. This is who we are. So we are. And so as you get into it, you look at, you look at the power of what God can do with you when you extend the love of him to somebody else. Are y'all into this? Chapter two. We're about teaching. We're about seeing people become committed. We're about teaching the word of God. Grass withers and flowers fade, but the word of God abides forever. We're about seeing people marinated in the truth of the gospel. We're about seeing not only life beginning, but life starting to have definition, where people start to understand what their gifts and their abilities and their passions are. We're about seeing sanctification start to take place in a person's life. When God saves us, then he starts to bring about what we call progressive sanctification, where now he's really establishing his lordship more and more in our lives. And we've got small groups. And for some of you, you're going, man, I need help in marriage. We're about to launch a new marriage class here in a few weeks. Sign up. It's on the back of the, the connect card. Some of you are going, I need to help, uh, help with finances. Steve is about to launch a new one here in a few weeks there. We've got small groups. My one friend, Glenn, he's about to launch one called Surviving a Prodigal. I mean, he and his wife went through this whole curriculum because of having a wayward son, and they have a heart to see other families find hope and meaning and peace in the midst of that, Right? Anybody in here live the life of a prodigal? Bobby, come on, dude. Some of us were so jacked up. And now some of us find ourselves parenting and maybe somebody has kind of gone the wrong way. So we want to see people taught the word. We want to see people uh, marinated in God's truth. Listen to this story. 
So one brother said, I've attended many churches and I've never been involved in an environment where the word was taught with such clarity and purpose. While the leadership was honest, posing with no mask and had no hidden agendas. During my cross adventure, the area of my life that has been impacted the most is now knowing that it's, co- it's okay for me to be myself. Through fellowship and teaching, I've learned not to focus on guilt and shame, but to see how I can authentically contribute to God's master plan in spite of my failures. I've discovered that sharing Christ with others is not an agenda, strategy, or a new program, but it starts with being authentically interested in knowing and serving others, whether they look like me or not. This self-awareness occurred because of the teaching and fellowship of the cross, which helped me through my own identity crisis. I now believe that the common thread that runs through all of our DNA is the yearning for love, acceptance, worth, and significance, and it can only be found in Christ. Isn't that a cool story? Teaching, marinating in truth. What happened to you this year, brother? If you look back over uh, 2015, what did God do? He woke me up. I know who I am. I, I, I know God wants to do something in spite of my failures. Really? Yes. You don't have to be perfect. Matter of fact, if you were perfect, life would be no fun because there would be no way to improve anymore. (laughs) Think about it. I want to be in process. I want to be in progressive sanctification. I I want more of those stories this year. Then you move to chapter 3. And chapter 3 is real interesting because in chapter 3, we're talking about more training. We're talking about deeper connectivity. We're talking about life starting to really develop. We're talking about now you've pledged your uh, allegiance to the Lamb that you're going to be a student. You're really walking as a Talmud, and you're moving now from just believing the truth that you now start to trust God and start to trust others. Now you're able to live transparent, and transparency is a beautiful thing. Uh, when, When you start to get there, and we've seen countless stories of the movement, People from curious to all of a sudden being converted and they're moving from conversion to commitment and all of a sudden they get here at this interesting place. They get here where where they're starting to to really realize that training and ongoing training is a part of our spiritual growth and maturation. Check this dude out. This one brother said, what makes the cross so impactful to our family is the continued example of service to reach the community for Christ. Serving is such a huge part of who we are, and it involves the staff, group leaders, countless families. Serving those in need is a privilege and is joyfully contagious. Walls of race, economic status, age, and religion are all broken down as the Holy Spirit works through the intentional actions of humble service. This is Jesus-style ministry. So when we feed people at Thanksgiving, when we do the back-to-school event, and, and when we do what we do with Fall Fest and all these other outreaches, why do you do them? Because when you serve, it's contagious. But when you serve, you start to realize there's no color. There's no age. There, there, it, it's all broken down. My, my buddy Neil, I want you to hear this. My buddy Neil was telling me a story. Neil does what he's called his arm, A-R-M, auto repair ministry. He's a mechanic. Neil was doing this auto repair work up in uh, North Georgia. 
And he said, I'll never forget, we were set up, we were doing all these free oil changes for single moms and people, families that were hurting. He said, and while we were doing this, he said, this lady pulls up in a brand new Escalade. He said, this thing was so sharp and just, oh. And he goes, I I struggle with having a judgmental spirit. What is she coming here for? She's driving something nicer than the rest of us, et cetera. And he said, she pulled in and the Lord said, serve her. And he's like, can we do an oil change for you? And she goes, yes, I would really appreciate that. So they started working on the car. And he goes, how are you doing? She goes, I'm not doing real well. She said, I've gone through a divorce here in the last six months. My husband's taken everything. I mean, once upon a time, our family owned 10 oil change locations. And here I am now pulling in for a free one because I don't have any money. And I've got probably too much pride to go back to those places that he owned. But I'm really just needing help. Can I tell you something? Oftentimes, we'll look at the person's exterior and we'll make conclusions that are very inconsistent with the psyche of their soul. Look at the way they're dressed. Look at the way they're talking. Some of the most fragile, insecure people I ever, ever met were in that entertainment culture. Seriously. The first time I ever meet Dan Whitney, Y'all know who Dan Whitney is? Yeah, you do. His stage name is Larry the... So you grew up in a church? Yeah, dad was a pastor. Yeah. Are, are, were you burned by legalism? Are you looking for peace? Aren't you looking for something to satisfy this shame that you've walked in? And relationship was birthed and more and more conversation happened. How did it happen? People would look at him. He's a star. He makes all this money, man. Look at him. He's funny. Funny? He's hurting. I mean, I'll never forget flying out with Jeff on one of these gigs. And all of a sudden, Ron White looked at me and he goes, can we go for a walk? Ron White. And I'm like, we can go for a walk. And we talked for an hour. Ron, what are you mad at? Why do you continue to sedate with alcohol and marijuana, whatever? Ron, how's that working for you? I'm being transparent with you. When you start to get into people's stories, you can look at them on the exterior thinking, they've got it together. And all of a sudden, if you were to unzip pretty much every one of us, we're all fragile and hurting somewhere down in here. And we're all wanting to know, is there a savior that really loves me? Does my story really matter? Can it be redeemed? Have I fallen too far from grace? Can I still be restored? And the answer is yes. We care. We believe conversion is possible. We believe that the next step is seeing a person really committed. We we believe that being connected to the body of Christ matters. Chapter 4. We start to live this out. We enter chapter 4 and... We believe in sending here. We, we believe in sending people. We just had one of our girls, Hannah, leave for South Africa. She's going to be gone for a few months. We send teams down to the bluffs. We send teams over to Rivers of Mercy, Terry. You guys do that a lot. We send teams locally and nationally and globally, Mexico, New York, wherever we're going. I mean, I've done probably 20 mission trips in my life. 
And again, I don't even believe in mission trips. I believe I've taken trips to live out the mission. I'm on a mission 24-7, so I'm not taking trips. That's my own little psyche of my soul that I had to work through real quick. That probably didn't even make sense to y'all, did it? People go, I'm going on a mission trip. I go on trips to live out the mission. If I go on a mission trip, I'll come off of a mission trip. But if I'm living a life of mission, it doesn't matter where I'm at geographically. Let me clarify my own thinking. But, it, but, but it's interesting because we want to see people being sent out. We want to see people contributing to the body of Christ. See, see wherever you're at today, it matters. Wherever you're at today, there can be movement. What, whatever God's been doing, you're not stuck there. You don't have to stay there any longer. And, and, and maybe you go, I've been connected, but I've never served. Why? I've never given. Why? Why? What's stopping you? And the answer is going to probably be you. You can blame it on every demon in hell you want to, but really, I think Michael Jackson had it right that I'm starting with a man in the mirror. And we usually tie ourselves up, but God wants to bring about transformation in you. Check this story out. My husband and I began attending the cross two and a half years ago. And this has been the best year yet. We decided to jump all in with what God was calling us to do. Thanks to numerous members of the body, any hesitations or feelings of being not good enough or less than vanished due to their constant encouragement and word-based wisdom. It vanished. I'm not good enough. I don't know enough. The Lord revealed he wanted the two of us to be involved in the youth group. What a blessing. Through our testimonies and genuine interest in those teens, we... We've been able to, to form some very strong faith-driven relationships that I know will lead to an amazing journey filled with life changes and tough questions, word searching, but yet a bunch of love. The cross is a place of refuge and strength and guidance and so much more. Other than accepting Christ and receiving him as our Savior, joining this Christ-centered family will always be the most influential life decision that we both made. This dude sharing his story. The husband, and he, he's one of my favorite dudes in here, but I got a bunch of them. But when he tells his story, and we've heard him share his story about when he was 20, right at 21, when he blew about a .29, lost control, hits this cement wall. His buddy in the seat next to him was killed on impact. He eventually faced four years in the pen. And he served him. He's sharing his testimony. Sharing his testimony with our youth. A few months back. And there's a little girl sitting in that room. A little 13, 14 year old girl. Whose dad is incarcerated right now. And, and that little girl was kind of embarrassed about where her daddy is. And that little girl was embarrassed about what's happened, but wondering, would my daddy be loved if he came over here? And when he shared his story, that little girl got so fired up that he spent four years and they love him. And not only do they love him, 
But God's using him to tell other people about how good he is. I think my daddy will be loved here. And I don't think people will look down on us because of what we've gone through. I want to be a part of more of those stories. We're going to reach. We're going to teach. We're going to train. We're going to send. God wants you a part of this narrative. No matter where you're at, your story matters. If you're brand new in the faith, let's get plugged in. Let's get in a small group. Let's get in a growth group. Steve Joyner is getting ready to start eight weeks, man, of laying out the essential basics of what it means to just kind of know Jesus. I would be rushing to that class. I'd be rushing to it going, all right, I'm a sponge. Teach me. Teach me. I want to be a part of serving, if I was you, with these young kids. Because I get to breathe life on them every day and every week. Your story matters. God's wanting to redeem it. But God's wanting to use it to encourage others. So maybe you haven't spent four years in the pen. But you spent the last 20 years in the gutter. You're not beyond his grasp. We love you here, and we believe God wants to change you. Oh,